I was getting very frustrated in a role that I had. I felt like I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't being utilized. It felt like my skill set was being kind of forgotten about because mm-hmm. I'd you know, been in the job that I was doing for so long that I wasn't feeling challenged. And we had this great conversation and I you know, kind of explained to her that I was working on being less emotional and being more pragmatic. And she stopped me right away and said, okay, well, hold on. Don't remove the emotion completely because that's where you get your fire. Welcome to Sincerely Future You, a podcast that helps ambitious women like you make decisions today with the future you in mind. Hello, hapsters. Welcome to the show. And we, as it's been kind of a theme for the past couple of weeks, every other week we've been leaning more into having some guests on the show because while I know that you love to listen to me and the insights of my weird brain, I think that I want to continue to bring you perspectives that really reinforce what we teach on this show. Um, Everyone that I believe we've had on the show up until this point, with the exception of my husband, Mark, who comes on to give the insights as uh, time and money in personal sense behind behind the scenes in my life. Um, we are going to have someone on the show who is actually not an entrepreneur, but really has an entrepreneurial spirit and a lot to add when it comes to how can you show up and really be thoughtful about the value that you have to add to the world, to your industry, and bridge the gap between who who cares? Like what parts of of you and what parts of your experience and your history matter and are helpful to you and your success and what parts can we kind of just discard like your GPA when you're 40 years old doesn't need to be on your resume. Okay. So let's without further ado, introduce our guest today, Aaron Moody. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, we have just a very interesting uh, relationship because I think we have a lot of respect for each other and what we do, but we actually just know each other through a mutual friend. So how did you come to be here? And tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Well, yeah, we have a mutual friend. We've um, known each other for a really long time. Um, I have to say, though, really quick off the bat, I, it's been really fun for me to kind of follow along on your journey and watch you, you know, kind of start and create and build this really fun and um, important business that you have. So one, it's been for me personally, it's been really fun to watch you. But um, yeah. yeah, so I I am in the corporate world. I work, I'm a director of partner management for um, Warner Brothers Discovery. So I deal with Apple and streaming entertainment and transactional movies. I'm kind of the account manager over a team of people that manage that business. So I've been in the corporate world for my entire career. And I think what makes it when you when you come from the corporate world as a woman in the corporate world, you kind of learn very quickly, you know, where you rank and where you stack up, Mm -hmm. right. And I think that that translates very much so into the kind of entrepreneurial world, because you know, women kind of have this view of themselves that can be very insular. And I think it's really important that when you want to dive into anything, whether it's looking into getting a promotion or asking for more money or starting a business, that you take yourself 
kind of out of the discussion. Take the Mm. emotion a little bit out of it. Remove yourself. Because what I've found, especially in my career, when I kind of split who I am in my job from what I want, it's a lot easier for me to have that conversation. But a lot of times you get kind of wrapped up in, oh, but I deserve this, or I want this, or I saw this for myself, and it becomes a little too personal. Mm. So I think that when I've been successful in these kind of discussions that are maybe a little bit harder when I want a promotion or when I want more or when I'm feeling unfulfilled, I do try to kind of separate the discussion from myself. I treat myself as almost like the business I'm negotiating for because it's easier to represent a business than it is to represent yourself. I don't know if that makes any sense. Ooh, I love that so much. I mean, it reminds me of what one of the core things that I teach my clients in happening sessions, which is a successful business is simply a math problem minus your drama about it. And so when you're, whether you're doing that about your own business or about you as an entity within a corporate business, it's like getting down to the math problem. What are you solving for so that you can just focus on the X variable that is you rather than you and your soul and your life's purpose. While I think it's important to be aware of all of those things so that you're making decisions to get closer to all of that, it really isn't relevant when you're when you're trying to negotiate and you're opening up conversations. And I, I love what you just said. You said thinking of yourself as the business and thinking of yourself as the business rather than as the CEO. And I think that's, that's interesting too. I talk a lot about, okay, we want to make decisions as the CEO, but business isn't personal, but it is emotional. How can we separate out your emotions uh, from it? So how, how do we do that? How do you do it? Well, what, what I do, like I said, is, well, first of all, I do think it's important to separate some of the emotion out because it, it becomes, you get, become too attached to whatever the subject is if, it, if you kind of have that emotional. But I will say I had um, this really awesome previous boss, powerhouse woman. I mean, she's just the person you look up to and you, I was so excited to be working for her. Mm-hmm. And we had a really great conversation because I was getting very frustrated in a role that I had. I felt like I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't being utilized. It felt like my skill set was being kind of forgotten about because mm-hmm. I'd you know, been in the job that I was doing for so long that I wasn't feeling challenged. And we had this great conversation and I you know, kind of explained to her that I was working on being less emotional and being more pragmatic. And she stopped me right away and said, okay, well, hold on. Don't remove the emotion completely because that's where you get your fire. She's like, so I think there's a fine line between removing yourself from the emotion of it, but keeping some of that fire. And what I try to do is, you know, I think in terms of when I'm, when I'm negotiating, I'm working with a partner, let's just say in my job, I, I came through the sales side of the business. So I was always sitting at a table trying to get what I want, right? Yeah. And when I'm doing that, I approach it with facts, with a plan. I anticipate the next move. I, mm-hmm. I think through the conversation and, and the different ways the conversation can go. So I'm prepared with an answer. Mm-hmm. So I do the same thing when I'm asking for more money. When I was countering to take the job at Warner Brothers Discovery, they were they wanted to hire me. They offered me the job, but I, I had to counter. And I, I 
made sure that I thought through the various aspects of whatever that discussion could be just like I do when I'm selling a movie or when I was selling a a project. Exactly. And that's the same when it comes to your own business and the way that you look at where you want to be and what you need and what you want. You know, you have to approach it from a fact-based place Mm -hmm. because if you're not prepared and you don't know what it is you're asking for, the person on the other end of the conversation is going to know and they're going to take advantage of that or they're going to dismiss you because you're not ready. Right. So it's easy to get so excited about the idea or the job or the prospect or whatever it is, but use that excitement to fuel the facts behind whatever it is you're asking for and be ready for whatever the conversation you know might be like think through what the questions might be or what the opposition might be and how you can kind yeah. of work around that. Yeah. Ob- like objecting the objection, rejecting the objection um, off the bat. I know I also come from a sales background. So sometimes I just think that some of this is like common sense because I was raised in a sales house. I say like, I mean, my ta- dad taught me how to like sell my bedtime. Like that was an actual conversation <laughs> that you're having when I was like seven years old. So it's really ingrained in me. But I think that um, now, you know, in as an entrepreneur, I always think of my most important client as as myself. And I think before you can go out and sell your audience or sell your team, or let's say you're making a shift in your business and you're going to change your offer. Like I went from one-on-one to group and I got so good at selling not just my audience, but myself and why one-on-one coaching was the best way to get your results. That then when I was moving to group, I had to sell myself on how and why group coaching was the best way to get your results. And now I've done that work so much behind the scenes that truly I believe it. And now I'm like, I don't even know. I think I might get rid of one-on-one coaching altogether because I feel like group, it has so many pros. And so I, I agree when you have this skill set, whether it's in corporate and on, or entrepreneurship, how can you um, think in a way that is results oriented and reverse engineer it? Um, thinking about it in terms of those, what are the variables and what is the math? And then once you believe in something, that's what your thoughts are, what create your feelings. And when you believe in something really deeply and you're not trying to show up, you have this belief and you have this doubt, but you're trying to say all the things that you think are the right things with an, a feeling that's not aligned, it's it's not going to come out the way that we want. So we just need to find that aligned what I call model, which where your thoughts are, are actually creating the feelings that are going to be useful to drive the actions to create the result that you want. And I think a lot of times too, which I 100% agree with that when, if you even think about your personal life, when you're, you know, giving advice to your friend about something personal, it could be a relationship, it could be money, it could be um, their job, you represent them so much better, right? You, mm. you provide guidance that's much more objective. But if you were to reverse that and try to tell yourself those things, mm. it's uh, the, the lens is skewed and the discussion is different. And we don't always represent ourselves the way we really should. And I think that that, and by we, I mean, you know, women, right? It, it's yesterday was pay equality day, right? That was the day where we finally reached the same amount of money that it takes a man to earn in a year, right? 
So that's happening constantly because women have been taught to wait for what they deserve. So this happens everywhere. Mm. I mean, across all businesses, you, you wait for your boss to tell you you're doing a good job. And because you're getting that accolade, you're thinking, oh, well, that must mean that I'm going to be up for a promotion. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Men are more successful because when they see something they want, they've been taught to go get it or ask for it. And if they, if they, they get no, they're like, okay, next time. But yeah. a woman, it's like, it could be devastating if you ask mm -hmm. for what you want and then you don't get it. So we, as women in any industry need to get more comfortable asking for what we think we deserve and being okay if we don't get it right away. You yeah. know, I, I was trying to get promoted. This is a number of years ago. I felt that I deserved a promotion. I'd been doing the job for a very long time and doing it very well. And I walked into my boss's office and I explained all the reasons why I, I wanted to take the next step. I thought I deserved it. I would like a team of people. It took a year and a half. I mean, I had to wait a year and a half, but I was persistent. I kept mm -hmm. adding on reasons why. I, I, I added the fact that I was performing at a director level when I was a manager and, and I finally got it. So through the process, it was a little frustrating because I was like, let's have this happen right now. But, you know, if I had not gone into the office and asked for what I wanted, I could still be sitting in the manager role. So I think that goes with every kind of conversation, like figure out what, and we, you know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, earlier, right before we started recording, but it always happens. No, always. <laughs> um, if you don't know what you bring to the table, what your value is, mm. then you can't ask for more or what you think you deserve. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the it, behind the scenes with yourself to say, well, what it is, what is it that I deserve? What is it that I want? And if you don't do that work, you can't ask for it. You just can't. Yeah. I think, this is a, a good question for people to ask. So for you in your life, even though you have not to correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't owned a business before. Yeah. Okay. You haven't owned a business, but you have had kind of roles in other people's entrepreneurial journeys. I know your husband, not that it's entrepreneurial, but almost intrapreneurial within the government was uh, running for office. And you were a major part of that campaign, as well as our uh, mutual friend. Actually, Aaron was kind of an angel investor for this project. And I, it struck me in such a way, I've had this happen twice, where you and another person um, was in a position where you understood and you saw the talent of someone that maybe just needs access to funds to be able to launch into what they really need to be able to do. And one of the things that also came up for me when you were talking about why women don't ask for more money in the raise is that we have such a complex historical relationship with money and that, um, we maybe associate money and our value and our self-worth in a way that men don't. We also, because we're newer to the game of being paid, right? And also um, because we are taught that what you do with money or what we've been maybe not taught, but modeled is what you do with money is you spend it. And so that is the core way that you spend. And women don't share the same values as men do. And obviously I'm generalizing here. So I do not 
I do not welcome emails saying about how men and women are not one person. I get it. But it for historically speaking, right? Um, I have found that my clients who are all women entrepreneurs, one of the things that they find so freeing about what I teach about money is that there are six ways to engage with money. There's earning, spending, saving, investing, having, and giving. And when I'm not met you, but when we were reintroduced on a professional uh, level with our mutual friend and you were talking about investing in her, I was like, this is what more people need to be doing. More women need to be doing investing in other women, seeing their own monetary, um, you know, net worth going up. What that means is not just that they're going to have a fancier life or more money in the bank account, but that they have more opportunities to elevate other women, to give back, to invest in things that matter, to skip over institutions like you know, the government or the school systems or, you know, right now I'm having a whole battle that, oh, hapsters, an episode is coming on uh, education and how our educational system is helping and or like has course corrected in the other direction and is also not giving our kids tools to like self-advocate. And right now, I think the best thing we can do for women is to teach women that when you're asking for more money, when you're thinking about your value and when you're, we're going for it, when you're making more money, there are so many different amazing ways that you can use your money other than just spending it on things. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about why you made this decision to be a part of investing in our friend um, and how you think about that. Because I know you're not just a uh, investor in our friend, but you also have been a mentor to a lot of people in your corporate journey. Yeah. Well, I, I can say from my experience, one, I love my job. I am so fortunate. I go to my job every day. I love what I do. And I'm compensated really well for what I do. I always make sure that I'm compensated at the same level as my male counterparts. And love that. you know, that's part of my discussion. But I really love my job. And I think that gives me a lot of freedom to mm. make choices in my extracurricular that kind of live outside of my corporate life. And that's why I wanted to invest in, in our friend. One, I believe in her. She has a vision. She's always had a vision from, I've known her for so long. Couldn't she's agree. creative. Right. She's thoughtful. She's, um, she's thought provoking. She asks a lot of questions and, and I, I wanted to see her scale what she was trying to do. So I believed in her and I wanted to invest in her. Um, I've been fortunate that I was taught from my parents that like my dad is in sales also and he has a lot of passions outside of his career. And I got mm -hmm. to watch him like have fun outside of his career. And he always said, even if you don't necessarily love the work that you do, the, the way that you're earning money, always do the things outside the, of your job that you love and be involved in those things. So I was always taught that. And I've also been fortunate that I met a partner and my husband that we are the same. We, we want to make our community better. We want to invest in people that are doing good by others. And that's why we have our hands in a lot of things locally. You know, I, I'm, I'm involved with, you know, invested in our, in our mutual friend, but 
I sit on the board of a charity. I, um, I what had started you doing say all the things here. Oh, we yeah. want to know. Um, it's called the Children's Safety Center of Washington County. It's a child advocacy center here. They're incredible. It's a t- all all women organization by by happenstance. It's just yeah. these women are incredible. They're helping kids, and it's amazing. Um, but I also, you know, I I I, I got my MBA a couple of years ago. Um, Back when I was feeling unfulfilled, I was a little bored. So I was like, oh, I'll just go get my MBA. That's what people um, do. I'm like, come get coaching instead. It's cheaper. And it's probably a lot more fun. More fun. Um, but yeah, so I, I got my MBA and, and I used what I learned in that in that course or the, the program to help some other nonprofits locally. So I've gone out and sat down with a number of nonprofits and just offered my expertise and what I've learned being in the corporate world and how to kind of apply corporate practices and process and strategy to, you know, a number of nonprofits here locally. So for me, my passion, you know, again, I'm fortunate. I love my job. It's so much fun. It's it's what pays the bills. But then outside of that, I also have a lot of, um, you know, extracurriculars that I'm involved with. And I think that more people, if we could kind of view that, like that structure that way, we will have more people, you know, lifting others up and helping others and, and, um, mentoring. I mean, I, I'm a mentor wherever I can, I try to offer it because I started my career. I was an administrative assistant. So I was answering phones. I was booking travel. It was right out of college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to go into production, you know, film production and, and the creative side of, of film and TV, but realized very quick that I am incredibly type A and I need a schedule and I need yep. consistency. So that didn't last very long. So I happened to get a job as an, as an admin and my first boss, you know, my first quote unquote real boss, he sat me down in the interview and he said, I am sitting where I am today, not because I was the smartest guy in the room, not because I had the best education. He's like, I had really great mentors in my career. Mm. And they've always taught me if you want to, you know, go far, find a mentor that will coach you. And then when you get to where you're going along the way, make sure you're also helping others do the same. Mm -hmm. So he hired me, not because I had the skills, because I certainly did not. I mean, my I had my GPA on my resume yeah, yeah. and I had all my mm-hmm. extracurriculars cause I had not had a job. Like I was a terrible applicant. I'd never been an assistant. So he gave me the job because he wanted someone that he could mentor. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, he said, give me two years as my assistant and then we'll sit down and we'll talk about where you want to be, what you want to do. You know, I'll try to give you experience throughout the, the company so you can kind of see the different divisions and make a decision four months into the job, he called me and said, all right, I'm going to give you this job instead. He's like, you're going to get bored. I see a lot of talent in you. And he was my first mentor and he mentored me throughout the, I mean, the rest of my career when I was making the decision to move from New York where I grew up to Arkansas (laughs) by myself, single, he was the first person I called. I said, what do you think? Going from a small studio, you know, where I, I have aligned to the president of the company when I can talk about my recommendations and they take my, my, um, strategy seriously, or I'm going to go to Warner brothers where I'm a small fish in a very big pond. And he mm-hmm. kind of helped me make that decision. 
Yeah. Turned out to be a very good decision. It's so great because one of my fundamental mantras that has guided me along a path of like some very uh, fork in the road decisions has been to seek counsel, not advice. And um, that's where I ended up just getting into the world of coaching and hiring my own coaches and going on. And this was before I was a coach. In fact, when I hired my first coach, I didn't even know what a life coach was. Like this was, they call themselves a coach, but I was like, oh, like Tony Robbins, like that was the only person that I knew that was doing coaching. Coaching really wasn't a thing. And I just knew that I wanted someone that was going to not give me their opinions, which is not what coaching is, but help ask me the high quality questions that were going to help expose my own flawed thinking and my own genius and my own wisdom uh, so that I can like lean on and ultimately a good mentor, I think, helps you build more self-trust instead of more reliance on the mentor to make all of your decisions, right? Um, it's, it's a sounding board, but not for advice. Hey there, Hapsters. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a quick break from our regularly scheduled content so that I can ask you a favor. If you're really enjoying this show, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please don't forget to leave me a five-star review. It really helps people find the show and it helps people like you who are seeking out their future selves. You can rate us on Apple and Spotify. And if you need a tutorial, I'm going to post one for you on my Instagram. All right, back to the show. Go leave a review. You were talking about your resume, which while it's not something that entrepreneurs have to use their resume, something you said in this line struck me, you said, um, Remember that your resume is a tool to show future employers all the reasons why you're qualified for the position. You should use it as a script for answering questions throughout your interview. Only emphasize the important activities that will add value to the conversation. If you have an item listed on your resume, it should always be accompanied with so what phrase. This is an explanation for the item. It doesn't have to be spelled out on the resume, but you should be prepared to speak it in an interview. And why I think that's relevant to entrepreneurs is that I love this question of so what. A lot of times we get caught, especially as solopreneurs, trying to manage all of the hats. It can be very easy to get tunnel vision and to just start making decisions without good reasoning behind them. And I think before I make any decision, small or big, I always ask myself, here's all the evidence, so what? Like, here are all the reasons. So what? Is that reason a good enough reason to make a decision? I mean, I use it all the time. If if the women that are on my team are listening to this right now, they'll be like, oh my God, so what? Yep, we know. <laughs> but um, I use it everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Um, it, it, a lot of times, especially in a, in a discussion where you're selling something. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're selling your business, you're selling yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's so easy to be like, Oh, and then I did this and I, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's, if you can't justify, and it's, I say the, so what of the discussion or that point mm -hmm. that it's not important enough, right? right? You're, you're creating noise. You're creating confusion. You're, you're diverging from the point if what you're about to say is so important that you can justify the reasoning behind it, then it's worth 
the discussion, it's worth the exploration, it's worth the energy. But if you're just throwing words in to beef something up, then you don't have enough planned or you don't have enough thought that was put into whatever it is you're working toward. Mm -hmm. um, I use it every day when preparing presentations for my customers. We're constantly saying, you know, we have we have coming out soon. You know, Shazam is coming out. I mean, obviously everybody knows Shazam, but what are we trying to get them to do? If we're trying to get them to feature Shazam, we need to provide them with the so what of why. Well, so mm -hmm. what? Okay, Zachary Levi's in it. It's getting some buzz. It's really cute. Um, it's family friendly. There's not a lot of family friendly content. So mm -hmm. we will look at the discussion and say, well, why is this point or this phrase or this sentence important? If it's not important, if you cannot answer that question, take it off. It's creating noise and it's not helping you in the end. And when you're, what I've found is the earlier you are in your career, the easier it is to add a lot of noise because you yeah. feel like you don't have either. And this goes back to the, the resume piece. You don't feel like you have enough experience mm -hmm. to justify why you want the job. But what I always remind folks, especially the younger people that I mentor, um, is I always say, create a master resume. It's just a, a huge resume and look at every piece of experience you have and write up what you did and what you learned and what the scope of the job was. And you're never going to include all of that in your actual resume, but it, it creates a funnel of information where you can look at it and say, I'm going for a sales job. So I need fact-based selling. Oh, this is where I did that. And you can strike out the other things that aren't mm -hmm. important for the sales job. But now you have a plan if you then have to pivot real quick for a marketing job. Right. And that goes back to that. So what piece, if, if the bullet points you're writing underneath the job description don't mean anything, then that a line item isn't going to get you the job. So you need to think of the other things that will get you the job and the experience that you have. And if you're realizing that everything that you have is fluff, then you need to go out and find the experience to then add to your resume. And a lot of times what I say to, to folks is if you don't get the job, ask them what you needed. What were you missing? What skill set did you fall short on? And then go pursue that. Take a class, take a course, sit down with a professional, like use the information that's out there to then prepare yourself for the next time. This is so relevant to entrepreneurs in a completely different way. I mean, when I think about early on in my entrepreneurial journey, it's kind of like your first and only goal is to just make 50K or even 100K before you start to filter out because the process of making money teaches you so much and gives you the experience that you need to really know what does matter for you. If you're trying to solving for those higher level problems before you have that experience and that failure collection under your belt, you're going to stall out a lot and you're going to miss some, some lessons that I think are so valuable. Um, but I think for me this last year, I've gotten into the habit of, you know, and I teach my clients this as well, of set your goal. And it's really important to have a revenue goal. Like a lot of people 
come to me, especially women, right? I mean, most of my, all my clients are women, but I, sometimes I mentor men on the side and, and with decision-making. And I say, so important for you to have a concrete revenue goal, not because the revenue is the point, but because it's going to inform you making decisions. And then you'll, you'll be able to ask, so what, so what over and again, while you're making those decisions. And, and this year after I had, um, hit that point where I had had a year where I had made 163 and I was like, okay, now my goal is to shift to not saying yes to all the money, not saying yes to quick money and, uh, to just really focusing on saying yes to things that are more aligned with the business that I want to create and the time and the lifestyle piece that I want to implement. And I think that that came from that question of being like, all right, well, what, what is, so what, what is the point? So I hit the goal. I hit the, um, I set the goal of 200 K is that, so what, so what if I don't hit it? So what if I do hit it? Like what? And so it gets even more, um, helpful as you are growing your business to be like, now we even ask, so what to our own goals? Like, what is the point? What is it going to change in my life if I hit 200K versus 189, but I have a book of business that is 100% best clients only. I am not compromising the time that I want with my new baby who's at home, all these things, right? And um, so I think that that so what question comes in for entrepreneurs at all levels. And I, I know I want you to add what you have to add and then do not let me forget because I just had COVID a couple of weeks ago and I swear to you, things are coming in and out of my brain. It's dropped my IQ by about 20 <laughs> points um, is to ask you about identity capital. Okay, go ahead. Tell me. Well, all I was going to add to that is also to the point of, you know, questioning your own goal and your own directions. It's also okay to pivot. I think that a lot of times... Um, especially newer businesses or new entrepreneurs who think that their vision is this, right? They're, they're, they're throwing their weight into this one objective. Mm -hmm. And then they're along the path and realize, oh, actually, well, wait, there's also this. And I think there's a lot of fear in the pivot, Mm -hmm. but I think it's okay to do that. And I I think um, our mutual friend is a really good example of that. You know, she had an idea of what she wanted. And she was working so hard for that one thing. And as she was working for that one thing, she realized, oh, wait, there's an untapped market over here. And then there's this space over here. And if I do this, and she pivoted. And that's really, really hard to do mm. because there's a lot of fear in that. It's Or self-doubt. Oh, if I pivot, is this the right choice? Should I? But I've, I've trusted this, right? And I think we need to be more comfortable in making those decisions that might move us in a different direction. And that's okay if, if you don't succeed right away. And I think you said this earlier, the failures a little bit. Yeah. You learn from the failure. Like um, someone once said to me, I forget who, who was, but fail forward. So if you fail, that's okay, but fail forward and use the failure to then move in whatever direction you need to. And I think that we've been taught everyone, not just women, but everyone's been taught that failure is bad. 
and it's, it's never going to get, you're never going to get anything out of failure. That's like, come on, everyone needs to fail. If you don't fail, you're never going to find the next thing. I mean, how many failures in our history ended up being discoveries of something even better? So I think it's important too, as you're going on your journey, whatever that is, whether it's exploring a career or exploring a new business, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make the wrong choice. It's okay to say, oh, I want that job. I'm going to go for that job. And you get that job and you realize, oh no, I didn't want this job. That's okay. Use that then to figure out mm -hmm. what it is you actually want to do. Use the failure, if you will, to springboard you forward because you don't get anywhere if you're not learning all the time. Yeah. I think that lesson is just, first of all, anyone who listens to this podcast religiously knows Aaron is like, Oh, you don't know what you just opened up for Jess. Like failure collection is probably my most, um, like important process that I have my clients do every single month. It's like a worksheet. We, we go towards failure. It's something that I have them get very comfortable with in the beginning. Um, and I I've talked about it and also in the form of like maxing out at the gym, like as an entrepreneur, it's the point, it's the point of going to the gym, lifting weights is to go to the point of failure. That is what success looks like. And in the corporate world is a little bit more structured, similarly to school in the way that they are a little bit more precious with like, oh, you don't want to fail. In entrepreneurial world, you're not going to make it past one year of entrepreneurship if you have a problem with failure. So it's like, failure is the name of the game, fail forward, figure out how you can use it. And what I think it's a good segue for what I wanted to say about identity capital. There's this um, psychologist, Dr. Meg Jay. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she uh, wrote this book called The Defining Decade, talking about how um, now people tend to use their entire 20s as like a gap year and kind of this like throwaway decade when really it is defining in a lot of ways. And just even especially for women who biologically lots of things change once you go into your 30s, it's like being thoughtful about um, what are you gaining? Even if there's so many ways to go about gaining experience that it can create anxiety for this whole new generation where there was like a, a lot more cookie cutter, clear paths and options for you when you graduated high school, when, you know, a couple generations ago than there are now. And now that kids grow up like admiring TikTok stars and YouTube stars, it's like, well, how there's no path yet to that. So it can be very uh, daunting and overwhelming. And so um, part of what I think she talks about that's so that I think you and I did very thoughtfully that a lot of our peers maybe didn't in our 20s was it wasn't like we didn't live a life on paper that looked like we were pursuing things that were passionate and fun and all of that. But we knew what identity capital we wanted to gain from doing those things. So for example, I always say that I feel like I lived three lives before I landed in as a life coach. I lived in Spain as a tour guide to Morocco and Portugal. You know, I studied abroad there. I was in Peru as, um, and I managed a youth hostel. And then I went back into the world of acapella and I was judging acapella competitions and, you know, real life pitch per perfect over here. And then, you know, I ended up becoming a fitness coach and then I ended up starting my own business as a, as a life coach. And 
along the way, I think someone could look at my life and be like, this girl just has no clue what she wants to do and is like just living for the fun of it. But I was very clear when I went... (laughs) First of all, I had a lot of fun, so no regrets. Uh, But when I went to uh, uh, Spain and then when I decided to move to Peru afterwards, even though the job on paper is managing a youth hostel, I was bartending while I was there. It wasn't something that might look like I was on track to be on Forbes 30 under 30. However, I knew that the identity capital I wanted to gain was that I wanted to be fluent in Spanish. I knew that it would be a tool. So I'm not going to go and study and be over there and just hang out with Americans. I knew that while I was over there, it was very important for me to immerse myself. I chose Sevilla over Barcelona for that reason. I, you know, went to Peru and was in Arequipa over Lima for that reason to improve my immersion. And I knew that while putting bartender or tour guide on my resume wasn't necessarily going to be like a showstopper, I knew that being bilingual was, right? And so even if you're going towards something that maybe isn't the obvious next resume step or the obvious next step with your business where you're like, okay, I want to start this like company and it just feels so off the beaten path and so off from what you're from what you're doing and you don't know if it's going to work out. The truth is you never know whether it's going to work out and that's not a problem. But when you're making decisions based on like I can only make this decision if I know it's going to work out, I think a higher quality question and we talk about that on the show is like what is the high quality question here that's going to guide your brain to look for evidence that's going to be useful to you no matter what and it's going to help you take action instead of stalling you out. The high quality question is whether this works out or not, whether it ends up in a failure collection or success, what identity capital am I going to gain from this experience? I think what's interesting about our generation is, you know, we, we grew up in a world where, you know, our parents had a job and they, they, they stayed in that job for their own entire career. Yeah. You retired there, right? So the pressure that we grew up feeling in becoming success or uh, becoming successful or being a success is finding that one thing mm. and doing it forever. Yeah. And what's fun about today is realizing that that is not true anymore. Mm-hmm. You can have a career in one area and then all of a sudden decide, oh, I want to start this business and move and do that. You know, the, the chapters of our lives can be fluid. It's mm-hmm. not finite. So going back to that identity capital, every experience can be an important experience that will guide you in some other area of your life. And just because you may not have figured out what that is yet, life experience is the most important experience that you can have in any industry. You know, in my industry, my life experience has taught me to be empathetic. I I sit across the table from my, my partner who I have a relationship with and I'm empathetic to where they're coming from. They have goals that they have to hit. They have targets, Mm -hmm. they have pressures. So I sit at the table and I understand those pressures and I guide them toward a direction that's good for both of us. Because for me, my life experience has taught me to understand people. Mm -hmm. Now, whether I learned that 
from volunteering or being a philanthropist or being a, I have a lot of siblings, you know, you, you mm. use your different skills or the, the experiences that you have and you can, you can apply learnings from any experience. So if you live your life for just taking what you think is important to be successful, you're, you're going to be successful. You have to live your life to get experiences and experience life and be a human mm. and be a full human and take whatever those experiences and use them however you will. I think that people who have this like one track mind and it happens in the corporate world. It's, you know, you start your job and, oh, well, I want to be the head of sales. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing they're focusing on. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're so narrow minded to just focus on that one thing, you're going to miss out on a lot of other yes. experiences. So I think when it comes to, you know, a business, how are businesses started? Well, there's a need in the market, right? There's, there's something that's not being fulfilled in the market and you are going to be the person that's going to plug into that and grow your business. Well, if you don't have life experience, if you don't have, if you're not a, a, a person in the world experiencing the world with the rest of us, how are you going to know what that need is? Mm -hmm. You're not because you're not experiencing anything. You don't know that there's a need for a dog park bar or something. Yeah. Which is something that my it's husband and I want to do, but <laughs> it's a good point though, right? Like if you're not out there and I say this as well, like all work and no play makes whatever a dull, whatever. I don't know those things, but, um, yeah. it's like it, the whole point is, and one of my rules of scheduling too, because people get so serious about time management. And one of my rules of scheduling is like scheduling is not so serious. I, yes, there are rules to it that I have, but it's like, ultimately to me, a schedule is a way of thoughtfully proving what's important to you so that your calendar matches your core values. And if you are working and like fire hosing your audience with why they should buy your stuff, but then you're not being a human and you're not coming and putting yourself in their shoes again of what it's like to be someone that's marketed to what it's like to be someone that's like in the, in the world with this, these problems, you start to lose touch, you start to lose perspective, and then you ultimately become an unattractive buy. Um, and I think that also that ties into the definition of professionalism, what makes it so fun too about growing up in this age is, is it's just really changing. It no longer professional means that you're in a suit and that you are saying the right thing. It's that you're authentically um, adhering to the promises that you're putting out there. And I think that it can look like being a CEO can look a little bit more like being transparent about your life experiencing and connecting with your client or that professional. So I know we're going to run out of time. And I just wanted to ask you one more question that is kind of like, we haven't talked about it in a couple of minutes, but um, you talked about being a mentor. So I think that I, my clients, my audience, the Hapsers would just like to know what is a really great way to thoughtfully go about finding a mentor? Because I think you mentioned it and it just seems so attractive. So obviously there's coaching and then there's mentorship and those come with different things because obviously a mentor, you're not going to maybe be meeting in the capacity of them being um, as 
responsible for your results as a coach would, uh, um, and you're not going to have as much access to them. However, it's still like you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Having a mentor is just invaluable. But now because of the internet, people are constantly trying to find mentors in what I think is just a little bit of a gross way. I mentioned again before, before that, like since I've gotten a podcast, since I had a podcast in the past two years, the amount of LinkedIn requests that I get and or emails that I get for people wanting to be on the podcast or wanting to pick my brain or to hop on a phone call without knowing anything about me, without doing that work, right? Like you say, of like sitting across the table from someone and and, and putting together the math equation, like what is important to them? Take yourself out of it for a second. How do you not send these what I call dick pic messages <laughs> of like the impact of just like, Oh God, like I don't even want to open these emails because I know exactly what they're going to be every time. And I am repulsed by them. However, I do have an interest in being a mentor. I would like to mentor someone who really does feel like they are going about it in the right way. So who, the people that you mentor, how do you, how do you stumble upon them and what can the hapsters do to find one of these relationships? Well, I, I use LinkedIn as a means to just be accessible. Mm -hmm. So I do accept all connections. I I don't have a filter for that because you just never know who you're going to come across and how you're going to be connected. So I, especially in entertainment, it's, it's always good to have, you know, a big network. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to people who are trying to become my mentee, the opening conversation is very important. Um, if it's just a line, your, your experience looks interesting. I'd love to get some coffee. Mm, That's not that to me, that just tells me they saw my name. They saw that I have an MBA and they saw that I work for Warner brothers discovery and they think I'm going to help them get a job in the movie industry. Right. The people that send a note that's much more thoughtful, that has actionable questions and is really a means to unlock a bigger discussion, they'll get my time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll even challenge the people who reach out to me with, you know, hey, I'd like to connect more. And I'll ask them like a couple different questions that might be a little so bit what? more. So what? So what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Well, what? what's interesting about my experience? Yeah. What do you mean by my career path? What, what, why do you find that interesting? Mm-hmm. What is it that you do that it makes my profile look intriguing? Just to see if they've actually thought through it all. Half the time, mm. I don't get a response from that. Yeah. That's too much work, right? So for me, when it comes to helping someone and using the, the pay it forward attitude of my first mentor, because that's what I want to do. I want to be able to use my experience mm. and my connections to help someone. An example being, just this last week, I um, I went to the University of Arkansas MBA program. I did a lunch and learn about negotiation, and a young woman in the in the she was in the audience. She saw me, um, and they had my name up there. She found me on LinkedIn. She reached out, and she had a very thoughtful question. One, she thanked me for giving the discussion about women negotiating and how you know women have a harder time negotiating and whatnot. But then she followed up with. I think it's really 
interesting that, um, what you do. And I would love to learn more. I've always liked this. And she listed out a couple of things that she was interested in and that opened up a discussion. And now we're getting coffee because, and I connected her to somebody that I work with in the games department. So hmm. have a thoughtful discussion. And then you, as the person that wants to be a mentor, you can then pick and choose the people based on that discussion. If you think that you're going to mesh, because if you're not going to mesh, then it's, it's not, it's not going to be the right fit, right? Sure, right. Of course, the personalities do have to mesh. And then also, I think one thing that we don't want to stop you guys from doing is like putting yourself out there. We talked about failure collection. We do mean that. So it's about striking that balance between you're going to go out there and you're going to like write out this whole thoughtful thing and someone still won't respond and it just won't be a fit. And that's okay. Don't take it personally. But for those people who are kind of like halfway between that, where it's like, okay, now my growth is to get better about having these conversations. These are just little ways that you can help tweak. But if it's between don't message at all or, and be a perfectionist about it or do it like a little bit better, we'd rather you do it and collect the fail and learn from it. But this is just like our recommendations, be thoughtful, be specific, warm up the conversation, ask a question that uh, will give them a easy because you don't want your mentor doing a lot of work to just respond to you before they know that it's going to be worth the value. So ask a very easy question that isn't so open-ended because they're, they have a lot of other priorities and they need to understand that this is going to be valuable to them. Right. So I so appreciate your insight. I think that we could talk about so many different <laughs> things when it comes to just women in the workplace and money and value. Um, but I'm just really grateful that there are people out there in the world like you who are taking their personal core values and attaching it to money. Because I think there's this other thing too, where we can either have lots of money and be shallow and just hardworking and focus on that or we can be like the starving artist, like broke, like philanthropist, nonprofit type. And it's like, no, you can make lots of money and use it for good. In fact, please do. Okay. So thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show. Um, we're going to link in the show notes, how people can connect with you, but I'm assuming one of those ways is LinkedIn. Yep. So what is <laughs> that's right? LinkedIn. What is your name on LinkedIn? It's Erin R. Moody parentheses Rosa. I think my profile is still Erin Rosa, but you can find me. Warner Brothers Discovery. Excellent. Thank you so much, Aaron. And we will uh, we will be chatting soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, bye-bye. Hey, hamsters. If you want to learn more about today's topic, head over to whatshappening.com forward slash podcast. That's what's happening, W-H-A-T-S-H-A-P-P-Y-N-I-N-G.com forward slash podcast. If you're a business owner and you're resonating with what we talk about here, what are you even doing? Come hang out with me over where the party's at on Instagram at what's happening WJS. Again, that's happy H-A-P-P-Y-N-I-N-G and book a discovery call to see if coaching is your next best step.